Episode 7, Peer-to-Peer Technology. The theory of peer-to-peer technology is at the heart of the cypherpunk philosophy. Peer-to-peer networking is at the heart of the beginnings of the internet by connecting disparate computers all over the United States and then the world. The World Wide Web came later, being the connection of URLs on top of the internet, which also connected in a peer-to-peer manner. Now we have the next development in computer science, blockchains, best represented by Bitcoin. Peer-to-peer technology has been the driving philosophy of much of the revolutionary aspect of computing. In a centralised world, decentralised peer-to-peer technology is a destructive technology that annihilates all before it. It turns cyberspace into an open and free place for all to learn, create and explore. Peer-to-peer computing will create an effect not seen in mankind in thousands of years. It will leave man as free as we have been since before the Neolithic Revolution, before the pressures of society and the Malthusian trap ebbed away at our natural freedoms. Maybe I'm sounding too much like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who abhorred the Industrial Revolution for the enslavement it would lead to for humanity. But the digital world is limitless and free. The internet in computing is utopian. It will lead to a huge reversal of the centralization and to the return of freedoms every man, woman and child has not seen in thousands of years. We should remember that wealth inequality is not a new phenomenon, nor is it necessarily bad. It can just be a representation of capital moving to where it is used most efficiently. Wealth inequality can be seen in Rome, medieval France, Renaissance Florence, industrial England, the Gilded Age United States, and many other civilizations. It is not the fault of mankind this happens. But this wealth inequality is not helped by the centralized force in unequal money that has existed for thousands of years. This in turn is not helped by the limitation of resources on Earth and the pervasiveness in consumerism that results in a me, me, me attitude. Therefore this is the genius of peer-to-peer technology. Peer-to-peer societies existed previously on Earth when resources and land were more plentiful and humans not so plentiful. The constant struggle for resources in today's modern society creates an incentive to produce more efficiently. This is what technology does. Technology gives us more tools for liberation to create wealth. Bitcoin cannot recreate 3000 BC Celtic Britain and allow man to live in a state of nature. But it can digitally simulate many of the best features and freedoms of pre-civilized life and add these to the benefits of modern society, which is our technology. How will this happen? 
Well, Bitcoin is based on peer-to-peer -peer technology. Many technologies are centralised or decentralised in nature. Even some of my favourite technologies, like the railways, are a centralised feature of life. But the internet, in its purest form, is a decentralising feature of life. Such is its power that it is the biggest decentralising technology we've seen for thousands of years. Peer-to-peer -peer internet technology was always going to be revolutionary. Yet still, many have underestimated quite how revolutionary peer-to-peer -peer technology has been. The first real-world results of peer-to-peer -peer internet technology many of us saw was the destruction of creative industries. It was the file sharing of Napster that caused the destruction of the music industry. It was the first straw of the internet that broke the camel's back and made many start to look closer at this new technology. Napster caused such a devastation to the music industry that it took over a decade to recover and to find a new business model. Indeed, I and many others might argue that the quality of music that followed from the devastation Napster caused has still not recovered. The subscription model by Spotify and then Netflix came about from the decline of the purchasing model of the CD and DVD era, perpetuated by Napster and then BitTorrent. The answer the corporations found to answer the threat of peer-to-peer -peer technology was one where they still demanded as much control over the industry as they could. They chose a hub-and-spoke model of subscription-based services, where corporations offer products on a monthly basis in order for you to access an entire library. You don't own the media, or at least the physical record of it, like you would if you had a vinyl, CD, video or DVD. Instead, you lease access to it. The corporations that moved away from this purchasing model and towards streaming services may have won a small battle, but they did not win the war. There is still the widely available alternative of torrenting, where ordinary people can file share with ease. In many ways, it is still easier to torrent than to stream. Netflix could have been a viable alternative to much of torrenting. It was easy to use and had a wide range of content, but now there is a paucity of films to watch. If you have a specific film you want to watch, you now have to find the streaming site it is on, a streaming service you might not have. If the film is not on any streaming service, you might still have to buy the film from Amazon or the like. It is much easier to simply torrent the film in the first place. These are the competing models of the centralised services and the peer-to-peer -peer alternative. It will be a fixture of future battles in the economy, as corporations struggle to retain their existing business models and try to move from a purchasing model to a subscription model against the threat of the more egalitarian and much cheaper P2P 
peer-to-peer model. What Bitcoin unleashes, as we mentioned, is the peer-to-peerization of the entire internet, now that there is the strongest possible incentive. This is the monetary incentive that will bind mankind together like nothing ever has before. This peer-to-peer model of the new monetary layer of the internet will have numerous results, the most profound of which will be Satoshi's concept of the complete peer-to-peerization of commerce on the internet. It will further threaten the corporations, and all but the strongest will be weeded out. But this episode isn't really about peer-to-peer commerce. See the Agorism episode for that. It is about the peer-to-peer technology that underpins Bitcoin. The nature of peer-to-peer computing existed long before Satoshi and Bitcoin, but I think it can be said that peer-to-peer computing is the entire point of computing and the internet. Original computer developers in the 1960s in Palo Alto were obsessed with this peer-to-peer nature of computing. The computer was invented to be peer-to-peer and collaborative in nature. Computing and the interconnection of computer networks will bind humans together through binary code in order that mankind may work better together rather than against each other. This is the utopianism of early computing, something Bitcoin takes advantage of. Peer-to-peer research began in the push to broaden the internet itself. The earliest iterations of the internet was to create a peer-to-peer technology based on packet switching and resource sharing. The aim in these early days was the creation of multiple networks of computers which could come together to become a network of networks. Computers acted as the nodes connecting everything together. Much of the early growth in peer-to-peer systems came from an intriguing phenomena found amongst early internet pioneers. They found there was a problem in connecting networks which were centralised in nature. There was a scaling problem in centralised systems which did not allow for data and information sharing to rapidly grow as quickly as you might need. With this, peer-to-peer networks started to spring up. However, they did not grow quite as quick as you might have expected. The clear benefits of peer-to-peer networks still managed to create some concerns compared to centralised services. It was in the management of security measures of peer-to-peer technology that many concerns were expressed. Furthermore, there was the fact that there was more money and corporate interest in developing centralised systems over that of decentralised ones and it meant that in the early days of the PC and the internet, it was centralised services that grew quicker. Far before Napster, Nutella, and others brought to the world at large the concept of peer-to-peer data sharing, the earliest peer-to-peer network pioneers were drawn to a system called Usenet. Usenet provided a decentralised newsgroup service started by Tom Truscott and Jim Ellis. It was not on-demand information like Twitter today, 
as Usenet often required slow and overnight downloading of data down phone lines in order to access the information. But, crucially for us, everything was done decentrally. There was no single point of access or demand. No one user uploaded information. It was peer-to-peer -peer in nature. In 1980, Usenet was connected to ARPANET through UC Berkeley and a mailing list. 50 members joined in its first year. By 1983, and thousands of people were participating from 500 server hosts and 100 news hosts. On Usenet, users read and posted messages called news groups. The closest thing to the peer-to-peer -peer social media the 1980s had. It resembled today's more contemporary bulletin board systems and was a precursor to internet groups where discussions became threaded. Usenet popularised several now widely recognised terms like flame, spam and FAQ. Usenet was like a wild west of early peer-to-peer -peer technology. Quote, Usenet is like a herd of performing elephants with diarrhoea. Massive, difficult to redirect, awe-inspiring, entertaining and a source of a mind-boggling amount of excrement when you least expect it. Close quotes. Gene Spafford, 1992. The next major development worth talking about in peer-to-peer -peer technology was when the technology, based upon the rapidly growing internet and World Wide Web, had found more bandwidth and allowed for larger data sets than merely text to be used. Napster, founded by 18-year-old student Sean Fanning, was that very important stepping stone which bridged the divide between merely sharing text and larger files. Fanning was frustrated by his inability to share and swap digital music files online, and he believed there were many who simply wanted to share the music they had on their hard drives with each other in an easy manner. Fanning therefore set up Napster to allow people to share their files. Napster was an immediate success. Users shared files with each other in an instant. Napster brought peer-to-peer -peer technology to the masses almost overnight. It was perhaps the first instant of the digital revolution breaking a legacy industrial model. Even Amazon hadn't quite yet dislodged the local bookstore. Napster took place during the dot-com bubble, where a host of centralised services grew rapidly and then crashed overnight, when the market realised many of them were of no value. Yet Napster was the opposite. It was far, far too successful for its own good. The ability to share music online for free clashed with the production and sale of CDs and the stolid business model of the record labels. The disruptive nature of peer-to-peer -peer technology was there for all to see. The immediate reaction to Napster were those corporate whores, Metallica, suing Napster. They won, and Napster would later be shut down. Legacy tech might have won the Napster battle, but they did not win the war. Following Napster, 
more peer-to-peer -peer services came out, the most famous of which, and the one I am most grateful for, was BitTorrent. Released on the 2nd of July 2001, BitTorrent was capable of sharing any and all files without a central database. Websites hosted small text files downloaded called torrents, which is not the copyrighted data, but contains the peer-to-peer -peer link to this data. You can simply download the torrent file and start downloading whatever material is contained within, not from a database, but from whomever all over the world. The first uploader of a torrent acts as a seed and the rest act as peers, downloading and uploading data to whomever as required. The BitTorrent protocol then gave way to index files, creating the opportunity for public torrent hosting sites to allow users to search for torrent files and download pretty much anything at will. The most famous of these was the Pirate Bay. A new generation of peer-to-peer -peer file sharing meant authorities tried to clamp down as best they could on this new technology springing up. The legal disputes often fell on the hosts of the torrent files, like the Pirate Bay. The Pirate Bay was founded in 2003, and was the simplest way yet found to find the torrent file you wanted. Anybody could download and upload files. The cleverness behind the protocol meant these websites were merely databases holding the torrent data and not the actual copyrighted material, which made it even harder for the authorities to shut down. The risk was spread between dozens, perhaps hundreds or even thousands of seeders providing the data. Here in Britain, it was down to the ISPs to block certain torrent hosting sites. But these blocks were, from personal experience, extremely easy to get around. Even today, around 20 countries currently restrict access to the Pirate Bay. But the Pirate Bay is still growing strong, and interestingly stays afloat largely through donations in Bitcoin and Monero. With the copyrighted material held on the computers of Cedars and Peers, all over the world, and not on a central database, authorities have a hard time shutting off internet access for the millions who are using their bandwidth to share this data. Authorities are perhaps still a decade behind the times, and they have found it nearly impossible to block access to this proliferation of torrenting databases that could spring up whenever any was blocked. Proxy services too could get around any ISP bans, and you could access it through VPNs or Tor. Meanwhile, ISPs have never even tried to block the sharing of this data. The impact of torrenting was, in my opinion, far more than that of Napster. Napster could be, and was, stopped. BitTorrent could not be stopped. The obvious threat of BitTorrent meant that the entire corporate system moved away from the buy-and-hold model of CDs and DVDs and towards the subscription model we mentioned, where you pay a monthly fee and get access to a library. But of course, corporate greed has meant 
but the quality of his libraries has diminished in just a matter of years. The corporate system has started to use elements of peer-to-peer -peer technology in recent times. From the loosest forms of peer-to-peer -peer technology, apps like Uber and Airbnb, which is more like the sharing economy we discussed in my other podcast, 100 Greatest Inventions, to Windows 10 updates using peer-to-peer -peer technology to reduce server space and increase download speeds. It is the very smallest perusals into this new technology. In reality, the corporate world is far, far behind in its use of peer-to-peer -peer technology and how new business models could be based on this new peer-to-peer -peer internet. There are, generally speaking, three different types of peer-to-peer -peer systems. Distributed computing, file sharing, and collaborative systems. Distributed computing is perhaps the oldest example of a peer-to-peer -peer system. It uses decentralized computers to get a high performance when single machines might not be capable or possible. It requires all computers to have access to the internet and running a specific client software. The type of computing this most benefits is smaller individual parts of data sharing that needs less data-heavy communication between peers. This means that data-heavy inputs like linear algebra problems and matrix computations are less useful for this and better run on supercomputers. Distributed computing is the best for problems that need a high number of different input parameters like simulations and validations. File sharing is the second type of peer-to-peer -peer system. This is best referenced by BitTorrent, as we mentioned earlier, which is pure file sharing over the internet, done in a decentralized manner through the connections of nodes and seeds. Collaborative systems is the third, allowing for collaboration between users on an application layer. This is a wide-ranging use of peer-to-peer -peer computing incorporating instant messaging, chat programs, online gaming and business uses. Collaborative systems often face the challenges of locations, fault tolerance and real-time constraints. Collaborative systems were perhaps the first iteration of peer-to-peer -peer computing as envisaged by Douglas Engelbart, the mother of all demos, which demonstrated the earliest type of collaborative computing and became an inspiration for much work done in computing in the 1970s and 80s. So what makes a peer-to-peer -peer technology? Well, the most important and obvious answer is that it connects peers on an equal basis. But I think the most important facet is the decentralised nature. In centralised systems, there is only one node that carries the system. The client paradigm relies on the centralized server or network carrying the entire load to its clients. And there is nothing wrong with a centralized model for some things. Centralized services can provide a very robust method of handling security issues, for example. But it can be very inefficient at times, with many bottlenecks, and very often many wasted resources 
resulting in overcapacity in order to be able to deal with surge capacity. Centralised systems can therefore be very costly, as there is often a limit on the load it can handle. Compare these centralised systems to peer-to-peer -peer networks, which requires participants to handle the distributed load. Any computer can act as a client and server at the same time, and can send and receive questions and transmit data. These systems work due to the incentive structure within the programming of many peer-to-peer -peer systems. Without incentives, it can be hard to distribute these systems without a centralising force. Therefore, many decentralised systems tend to be hybrid in nature. Some have argued that the Bitcoin network is a hybrid decentralised centralised system. I would disagree, but it is an interesting point to consider about the nature of peer-to-peer -peer architecture. In a true peer-to-peer -peer network, the network constantly needs to reorganise itself to where data, energy or demand is needed, and this changes the form of the network. This information, which must not be corruptible, must be reachable from all other nodes and needs to be able to reorganise itself constantly in order to run effectively. Unlike in centralised networks, where scale is dependent on the level of service provided for it, peer-to-peer -peer networks really begin to shine when low levels of information each node carries in a peer-to-peer -peer network can easily increase. In effect, peer-to-peer -peer systems can grow or contract far more easily than centralised servers. Peer-to-peer -peer networks can therefore scale at degrees unimaginable in centralised services and can grow by orders of magnitude at a far quicker rate than its centralised equivalent. Peer-to-peer -peer systems also beat centralised services on a cost basis. Large-scale computational decentralised systems can by far outmatch that of even the most powerful supercomputers. The cost, therefore, of these decentralised services are far more than their centralised equivalents. What you lose in control with centralised systems, you gain in efficiency with decentralised systems. If the supercomputer goes down, the entire system will collapse. If 5% of the peer-to-peer -peer network goes down, the decentralised server will barely be affected. One of the most important and largest cyber-philosophical debates as the internet continues to rise is the nature of anonymity. Peer-to-peer -peer systems have a level of inbuilt anonymity. These systems send and receive information without knowing whence they came. They often can be treated through pure cryptographic data, unlike centralised services which often need user details like name, address and payment details. Therefore, in many peer-to-peer -peer systems, the information can come from a multiple of sources and can be distributed to a multiple of places with you knowing almost nothing about anybody receiving or sending this data. Corporations and governments dislike this element of decentralisation more than most, as they found it more difficult to regulate and control. But essentially, 
this movement of data should be treated as a form of freedom of speech. Information, like speech, should be able to flow freely. The final characteristic that makes peer-to-peer -peer networks naturally superior to centralised ones is its reliance on reputation. This may not feel like an important point, but the nature of the internet means that barriers to entry are lower in the internet than in many other businesses. The importance of reputation over status goes back to debate in the crypto space about the value of proof of work over proof of stake. Amazon Web Services is expensive and has a surprising amount of downtime for such a huge institution and yet it is still the gold standard of cloud computing. This is mostly due to the status of Amazon itself and the ubiquity developers have with AWS. It is not due to Amazon's good reputation that AWS, the most centralised of centralised services, is the biggest cloud computing system. Eventually a peer-to-peer -peer alternative will arise based on proof of work and will take AWS's crown due to its lower costs and higher reliability. It won't need huge advertising budgets. All it will need is a system that works and it will be far cheaper and it will start to slowly eat into decentralized services. Peer-to-peer -peer systems work on reputation, but rather than the entire system, each node acts like a centralized server. The more reliable the node, the more this node is incorporated into the system itself. The node itself gains reputation within the network, and often the peer-to-peer -peer system will incentivize this. The node and the network benefits from this reputation of uptime and reliability. There are no real characteristics like this in a centralized service, other than the reliability of the entire network itself. When, for example, AWS goes down, it takes much of the internet with it. When a node in a decentralized system goes down, the node itself loses some reputation, but others can take its place, and the system largely carries on working. As Satoshi described it, Bitcoin is peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. It is an attempt and a victory to create a new peer-to-peer -peer network. As Satoshi described it, Bitcoin is peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. It is an attempt and a victory to create an entirely new peer-to-peer -peer network. But Bitcoin is more than just a peer-to-peer -peer network. It is a complete revolution in how the internet works. Building upon all the peer-to-peer -peer systems we have talked about in this episode, Satoshi created a new type of network. The creation of Bitcoin was not only built on what came before, but also created much else that was new in peer-to-peer -peer computing. Along with a deep understanding of peer-to-peer -peer technology that Satoshi used to program his system, I'm talking here about the game theory and logic, an understanding of the banking system that was required for somebody to make Bitcoin. Bitcoin was required to have the strongest possible record of transactions in its network, all without a centralized server or a mint, as Satoshi called it. 
So it is no surprise that Bitcoin shares a similar name to BitTorrent, perhaps its immediate predecessor in developing peer-to-peer -peer architecture. And Bitcoin has much in common with BitTorrent, including some of the fear, uncertainty and doubt. BitTorrent uses a huge amount of internet data usage. In 2019, nearly 2.5% of all downstream and nearly 27.5% of all upstream traffic on the internet was BitTorrent. BitTorrent uses these technological developments in peer-to-peer -peer networking and takes it one step further. Less of a new technology and more of a new layer on the internet using peer-to-peer -peer architecture, Bitcoin achieves what it was set out to do. Bitcoin hardwires an incentive structure that must exist in all peer-to-peer -peer technology into a direct monetary incentive. In any form of functioning society, this monetary incentive is perhaps the most important and vital incentive there could possibly be. Bitcoin hardwires this incentive into its system and uses participating nodes to secure the network, much like BitTorrent does. There is no centralised Bitcoin server, merely people all over the world providing mining services and nodes in order to play into this incentive structure. Then there are the hodlers who participate in the network by simply holding the tokens, storing their value in the network. This all plays into the programmed incentive structure of the network. The mining process, I think, is worthy of a full deep dive in and of itself, and so I'm sure we'll get to that deep dive soon. But in short, the mining process is part of the collaborative and distributed peer-to-peer -peer system. Unlike BitTorrent, which is merely the sharing of files, the Bitcoin system is the recording, storing and transferring of pure value itself over the internet. The timestamp server is a record of who owes what to whom. Making this process clear and legible to all was the most important breakthrough in making internet money viable. In order to solve the double spend problem so people cannot artificially manipulate the system, to award themselves Bitcoin and to make sure the system works smoothly, Satoshi needed to invent a new form of peer-to-peer -peer computing, his timestamp server. We've talked about the timestamp server before, now they're called blockchains. Their invention had been theorised decades before, but it took for Satoshi and the Bitcoin system for their use to be implemented and made useful. There is quite a bit of talk online in the Bitcoin and crypto community regarding the nature of blockchains and whether it is Bitcoin or blockchains that is the most important technology. For me, Bitcoin is the more important focus. It is not that the invention of the blockchain is unimportant, but Bitcoin is the application of so many peer-to-peer -peer technologies and the invention of new ones that this combined will be more important than the simple recording of peer-to-peer -peer data that blockchains represent. The best peer-to-peer -peer networks have a network that supports itself in a circuitous loop. This is what Bitcoin does and more. 
Bitcoin is the conclusion of all the peer-to-peer -peer technology that has existed in the first half a century of computing. Bitcoin binds the digital world together through pure monetary incentive. The somewhat niche technology of peer-to-peer -peer computing, which has long been the reserve of cypherpunks, nerds and internet pirates, will manifest itself into a peer-to-peer -peer system that overtakes and conquers the world. Without the knowledge of how a peer-to-peer -peer system works, and how it has to incentivize each participant in the system, Bitcoin would not have been possible, as this incentive structure may not have otherwise been strong enough. Furthermore, without Satoshi inventing the blockchain to effectively regulate the network and solve the double-spend problem, bad actors could have far more easily found ways to subvert the system. Instead, due to the genius of the architecture, even if they did have enough power to attack the network, they would actually have an even stronger incentive to keep the system running. Irrational actors may exist and may want to attack the network, but as time goes on, this gets more and more unlikely. This is the genius of peer-to-peer -peer computing and Satoshi's Bitcoin model and how he applied game theoretics. Extrapolate these incentive structures and layer it on top of the world at large, and you see how Bitcoin, as the monetary layer of the internet, starts to change the incentive structure of society and mankind itself. Commerce on the internet will see the first huge change as the incentive structures of commerce changes rapidly and quickly, and this will incentivize other participants into its realm. The peer-to-peer -peer technology at the heart of computing is utopian. Bitcoin is utopian in its ideals and its aims. It is utopian by incentivizing people to join the system and not by forcing them. The results will be legion. It is instructive to us that the network is called Bitcoin. The bit comes in the contraction of binary digit. And like its technological predecessor, Bitcoin, all the network does is use bits to facilitate data transfer. It is this transfer of bits of information that Bitcoin uses to process the transactions of the native internet currency. That, like the internet, is also peer-to-peer. -peer. I firmly believe that to understand peer-to-peer -peer technology is to better understand Bitcoin itself. We could have gone deeper into peer-to-peer -peer technology and talked about the very nature of the internet itself, as that too is a highly peer-to-peer technological network, but that is for another day. So thank you for listening. Next time we will almost be carrying on from where we left off and talking about pre-Bitcoin internet currencies. See you then.